0: Let the torch of freedom burn.
1: Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. Thanks for joining us today on Wall Builders. Today is the conclusion of David Barton's presentation, opening the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. If you listen to Wall Builders for very long, uh, you probably already know this, but we do the conference once a year for state reps and senators from across the nation to come together and first of all, realize they're not alone. There are others like them. But also exchange ideas and talk about legislation that works and doesn't work and uh, ways to get things done and apply a biblical worldview to the culture. It's a great conference. It's great for the legislators. It's, it's very, very encouraging. And David's opening presentation, something really everybody needs to hear, especially those legislators that are that are on the front lines. But we know you, as wall builders listeners, are also on the front line. You're you're involved, man. We know that our, our listenership is an active active audience and and uh, we appreciate you. God bless you and and we want you to have this encouragement. So you, if you missed yesterday and the day before, uh, the the first two parts of this three-part series, they're on our website right now. So check those out today at wallbuilders.com and and also visit wallbuilders.com for some Christmas shopping. There's a lot of good stuff there uh, that not only gives people a good gift, it gives them the gift of freedom and wisdom, not just knowledge but also wisdom. So check all that out at wallbuilders.com. Let's jump right back in where we left off if you did miss those two days. Uh, you can go check them out at the website. But let's jump in. Here's David Barton at the Profaming Legislators Conference. Franklin seated
0: there, 81 years old. His speech was Thursday, June the 28th, 1787. And we know what he said because James Madison recorded it. We have it in the notes at the convention. And so, Franklin, this is an extemporary speech. It's not with notes. He has not written it down. He's just giving it off the heart. And he's just frustrated. He said, gentlemen, he says, in this situation, of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, And scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we've not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lies to illuminate our understanding?" He said, in the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. He said, our prayers, were, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. And That is the room where they signed the Declaration of Independence 11 years earlier. That's the room in which they had three chaplains for one Congress. It was not bicameral yet, it was unicameral, but three chaplains, And by 1815, they had called for 1,400 government-issued calls to prayer. So there was a lot of prayer. He said, guys, don't you remember what we used to do here? He said, our prayers were heard, and they were graciously answered. He said, all of us engaged in this struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. And by the way, George Washington, on 250 occasions, acknowledges the intervention of God in what happened back at that point in time. He actually wrote a letter to fellow General Thomas Nelson. And he said, Thomas, he said, if people have seen what you and I have seen in these battles and they don't feel an obligation to thank God, then they're just wicked. I mean, Washington has seen so much of God's intervention. And so, Franklin said, We've all seen his intervention. He said, And have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? He said, I've lived, sir, a long time. And he was 81 at a time when the average lifespan was 33 years old. That was the average lifespan in 1787. He's 81. He says, I've lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. He said, If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We've been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He said, I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we should succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We should become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberation be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. Now that's Franklin's speech on that day. Now, there's no question the speech has a religious tone to it. Nobody disputes that. There's also no question that Ben Franklin is absolutely the least religious founding father we've got. So the least religious founding father just gave you a speech that was 14 sentences long. Question is how many Bible verses did he quote in that speech? And the answer is 14. These are the Bible verses Franklin quoted by memory in that speech. That means Franklin had memorized these verses because this was not a written speech. He just starts talking, and this is what... How did Franklin come up with so many Bible verses? And we know the answer to that. Jesus gives it in Matthew 12, 34. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart is going to come out your mouth. If that's hate or anger or or bitterness or something, it will. Or if it's God's word, it's going to come out your mouth. And so he would memorized that word. If I take you to Patrick Henry's speech... The famous speech he gave, give me liberty, give me death, he was a young legislator with a bunch of senior legislators. At that point in time, there's been all sorts of battles that have gone. The, the uh, British have been killing Americans for five years, and the older legislators saying, man, there's nothing we can do. We don't have an army. We don't have a navy. As bad as we like it, we just have to do what the British say because we don't have an option. And Henry, the young legislator, he gets up and says, are you guys kidding me? You don't have a backbone. You're not willing to stand for it. And he, just, he goes in that give me liberty, give me death speech, and in that speech, it's also, and you can read it online. It's 14 sentences long, and in 14 sentences, he quotes 11 Bible verses. And again, this is an eulogy speech. How did he quote so many Bible verses? He had memorized Bible verses. And by the way, if you look at those Bible verses, maybe we memorized John 3:16 or something in the Roman Road, some something out of Romans. Who memorizes Second Chronicles 32:8? You know, who memorizes Psalm 75:7 7, or Deuteronomy 30? These are the stuff that they had memorized. One more example. George Washington became president in 1789, the only president elected unanimously. And the next year in 1790, they come up with a plan. They say, you know, we've been 13 nations. How do we help the nations understand they're now part of one nation, 13 states? He says, I think if I make a trip to all 13, if I go visit all 13 as president of the United States, I'm here to talk to the legislature and meet you guys, and boy, it's sure good to have you part of the United States. If I go make that trip to everyone, and that's a big commitment. Because he's jumping on a horse up in New York City, federal capital. He's riding on a horse to Georgia. Really? You know how many weeks that is? And he's going to all the states. And so it was a two year plan for him to visit every state. And in going through every state, they announced that they laid it out and in the 1790s as he lays out the states he's going into. One of them is Rhode Island. And as it comes time for him to go to Rhode Island on his announced schedule, um, there's a Hebrew congregation in Newport, Rhode Island that wrote him and said, We are so looking for you to be here. You are such a godsend. Thank you for our religious liberties. Thank you. And they, they just gush all over him. I mean, it's just a really effusive letter. And Washington writes back a very presidential letter. The letter he wrote back was two sentences long. And he said, well, thank you guys for that. I'm looking forward to seeing you too. And just really simple. And in two sentences, he quotes 10 Bible verses. And if you look up these verses and read his letter, it's like, yeah, he just strung a whole bunch of Bible verses together to make his point. See, that's what Washington did. And all these guys, it was out of the abundance of the hearth. They had memorized Scripture in a way that we don't even think about doing. It. And that's including our least religious founding father. So when you look at all they did, John Quincy Adams, I think, said it this way. He said, with regard to the history contained in the Bible, it's not so much praiseworthy to be acquainted with it as it is shameful to be ignorant of it. I think we've had a cultural shift. Today, if you knew those Bible verses, we would praise you as a great Bible scholar. Back in their day, if you didn't know those Bible verses, they would say, shame on you. How can you consider yourself an educated person and not know the Bible? So we've had that cultural shift in generations. Now we're pleased when we know Bible verses or memorize a Bible verse. And for them, it was dozens and hundreds of them. Uh, President Ulysses Grant, another president, he came out with this card in 1876. This is on the centennial birthday of America. See 1776, top left, 1876, top right, centennial in the middle. This is his card that came out on the 100th anniversary of America. And it says, message of president grant to the children and youth of the United States. What's the president telling the kids? He says, hold fast to the Bible, the sheet anchor of your liberties. Write his precepts in your heart and practice them in your lives. So what we're telling the kids is, kids, the president's speaking to you. Make sure you get the Bible in in everything you do. He said, to the influence of this book, we're indebted for all the progress made in true civilization. And to this, we must look as our God in the future. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sends a reproach to any people. That's the president's message to the kids of the United States. I don't care if it's Biden or Trump. What do you think happens if they issued that message today? You know, we'll go ballistic. You can't do that. No, no, no. This is what history was throughout that time. And the same way you go back to Franklin Roosevelt. Now listen, this is a liberal progressive Democrat. Here's what he said. He said, in the formative days of the Republic, the directing influence the Bible exercised on the fathers of the nation is conspicuously evident. Is it really? Can you show me a textbook where it's conspicuously evident the impact of the Bible on the founding fathers? Now, if I show you the speech, it's easy. But not a textbook. And I don't care whether the Christian schools or public schools. We don't do that. And here's a liberal progressive Democrat, and there's no question the Bible is what built America. Nobody can test that. He said, We cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning the place the Bible's occupied in shaping the advances of the Republic. So all of our presidents agreed. We continue. Zachary Taylor, war hero, his nickname is old Rough and Ready. He says, The Bible is the best of books. I worship in the hands of everyone. It's indispensable to the safety and permanence of our, our institutions. Our faith, no, our institutions. See, most people today have no clue that the right to confront your accuser in the due process is the fourth through the eighth clauses of the Constitution. So the right to confront your accuser, the right to compel witnesses on your behalf, the right to speak in your own defense, the right to have trial by jury. The right to confront your accusers according to federal practice and procedure, volume 30, the right to confront your accuser in the Constitution comes out of John 8.10. The right to have compelled witnesses on your behalf, Proverbs 18.17. The right to speak in your own defense, Acts Twenty Two One. Bible verses where our institutions came from. If you take the fact that we have the institution called the free market which came in America before anywhere else in the world, by 1627 we had the free market system in America. If you read the writings of governors like William Bradford, governors like James Smith, you'll find five Bible verses of what gave us the free market. Second Thessalonians 3.10, 1 Timothy 5.8, Matthew 25, Luke 19, Matthew 20. Institution of the free market came out of the Bible. Same with forms of government. The Bible has seven different forms of government It illustrates which shows what was called a Republican form of government. That's what we, and our founding fathers pointed to Exodus eighteen twenty-one, Deuteronomy 1, 15 and 16, Deuteronomy 16, 18. That's where that institution of Republican government came from. And by the way, we don't want to save the democracy. That is a terrible idea. We want to save the Republic. We pledge allegiance to the Republic. The Founding Fathers specifically said that a democracy is worse than a tyranny or a dictatorship. They thought that was the worst of all the seven forms of government. They'd rather have a dictator than a democracy? Really? Yeah, and they gave biblical reasons for that. They showed particularly out of the Gospels examples of democracy how bad it was. And so Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution requires that each state maintain a quote Republican form of government, not a Democratic form of government, a Republican form of government, which is why we pledge allegiance to the Republic of the United States. So we're so civically unknowing that messages like Save the Democracy resonates with people. We should have all been coming off our chair saying, you've got to be kidding me. That's the worst. We don't want to go to democracy. Let's stay a republic where we can be free. Democracy leads to tyranny. Other examples, he said, especially should the Bible be placed in the hands of the young, it is the best school book in the world. I would that all of our people were brought up under the influence of that holy the Holy The president saying the Bible is the best school book? Well, which is why when you look at the U.S. Supreme Court decision 1844, Vidal versus Gerard's executors, it was a three-day thing that went in the court, and the court came back with the decision, and it had a lot of things, but one part dealt with a school in Philadelphia that was being government-run, government-operated, and it was apparently not going to teach the Bible anymore, and the court said, no, no, no. In America, we're not going to have any school that doesn't teach the Bible. And that's a unanimous, age zero decision in the Supreme Court, and dealing with other issues in Philadelphia, they said, by the way, while we're at it, we're not going to have a school that won't teach the Bible. So... That's what the Supreme Court is saying. We certainly didn't get that in our history classes. What we get is what happened in 1962-63. In three cases over a 12-month period, Ingle Vital, Abbey and Shemp and Mary Corlette. the court said, hey, this deal of having prayer and Bible in schools are not going to do it anymore. It's interesting. If you read those three decisions, the court itself said that taking prayer and Bible out of schools, they said, was without historical or legal precedent. That's in their decision. They say there's, there's no precedent, but it's time to do something different. Why are we doing something different? Well, they tell you, and as you can read through, you can read through on why they took the Bible out of schools, and as you read, one of the things that the court said was that if portions of the New Testament were read without explanation, they could be and had been psychologically harmful to the child. They quoted Dr. Solomon Grazel of psychology. They were just following the science, you see, and they are just, just following the science, and this is what science tells us, and this is what Dr. Graizel, and said, so we've got to save our kids from brain damage. Now, I would argue that our kids have suffered massive brain damage since we've taken the Bible out of schools. We seem to have lost common sense. And by the way, in talking to a couple of Jewish rabbis, I said, "Where does common sense? It's a common sense, book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of
1: common sense. If you don't have fear of God, you won't have common sense. All right, folks, got to interrupt for just a second here. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to Wall Builders. Welcome back to Walbutters. Uh, This is the final program in a three-part series of David Barton speaking at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference, really analyzing what happened in the elections and where we are as a nation, why we've got to get back to biblical literacy, why it's so important to have those biblical values. And so hang on, we're going to get the conclusion of his presentation at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference.
0: So we've gotten to be a non-God-fearing country, and we don't even make sense anymore. And uh, just as an example, we got a ranch out west of here. And so out there we got the cattle and the, the, all the cattle herd and we've got the horses and the pickups and, and all the stuff that goes with it. And I can take... I, you guys may know nothing about ranching at all. It doesn't matter. I can take any one of you out to the ranch. I can put any one of you behind that cattle herd and every single one of you can immediately identify the gender of every critter I've got in that cattle herd. <laughs> it is... It's not a difficult thing to do. Now, Matt point out that two months ago... LGBTQ, which is now LGBTQIA+, does a lot of corporate training, was doing some corporate training for a lot of the woke organizations, and they pointed out, the LGBTQIA+, said, we have now identified 150 different genders in America. You have lost your brains. See, who's had, the, who's had the psychological damage? See, when you get away from common sense stuff, and that's where America's gotten, which is why we're buying into all sorts of stuff that doesn't work, which is why right now... Here's another product of education. 75% of college students say that we need to get rid of the free market system and go to socialism. 49% of millennials say get rid of the free market system and go to socialism. We haven't been teaching who we are as a people or even what made us special or anything else. So going back to this, Benjamin Rush, founding father, John Adams said out of the 250 founding fathers, the three most notable, number one is George Washington, number two is Benjamin Franklin, number three is Benjamin Rush. This guy signed the Declaration, ratified the Constitution, served in three different presidential administrations. He started five universities, called the father of public schools under the Constitution, started academic education for women. He's the greatest physician in American history. He's called the father of American medicine to this day. He trained the first black physicians. He started the abolition society first in America, ran the national abolition movement, started the first Sunday school movement in America, started the first Bible society in America. Guys, unbelievable. And in the piece that he did that caused him to be called the father of public schools, he said the Bible... When not read in school is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. This is where America is today. We've seen the, the Bible reading plummeting. It takes a lot of effort today to read the Bible. It used to be part of school work. When you look at stats right now, only 9% of Christians read the Bible on a daily basis. It's hard to be a strong Christian community when you're only getting less than one meal a day, when only 9% are getting one meal a day. It's hard to be a strong Christian community when you have that, and specifically here, only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. So only 1 in 16 Americans can actually put a Bible verse to policies that's going on, whether it be due process or whether it be free market or whatever it is. There's so much the Bible talks about that we don't even know about today. And so the difficulty we have is it was not always this way. Um, Every one of you in your states will have official state records for when you were a territory or a colony, if you're from the 13 colonies, and you'll have official state records for when you became a state. And you have educational records. We have a ton of those records. Um, we have 160,000 items in the collection, uh, items that, that for, from Columbus all the way through the Bible that landed on the moon with Apollo 14. We've got 120,000 items from before 1812. I can show you the school records from back in the day. I could take any state, but I want to take New Jersey for a minute. New Jersey, I want you to see the public schools in New Jersey in 1816. This is the state report for New Jersey in 1816. Here's what the, and, and they're telling you what's happening in first and second grade in 1816 in New Jersey public schools. And again, I can take any state, any, any year, any, any school, it doesn't matter. Here's what it says. New Jersey. All the scholars of the first and second classes commit to memory portions of the New Testament or Psalms, a lesson of the Catechism, several hymns, and the text of the preceding Sabbath. First and second graders in New Jersey are memorizing that. And by the way, what is the text of the preceding Sabbath? Whatever the preacher talked about on Sunday, we're going to memorize all the verses he mentioned. So whatever verses he mentioned, that's the text of the preceding Sabbath. But they did point out there was a kid that was really sharper than the rest of the kids. They said, one of the scholars is committed to memory, the book of John, the first 30 psalms, together with the 119th psalm. We're talking first and second grade public schools in New Jersey. And that's a pretty sharp kid. Now, the rest of the kids weren't that smart. It says, the majority have committed to memory of the gospel by John. See, every first and second grader in New Jersey memorizes the gospel of John But we did have one kid who added 30 verses out of Psalms to it and Psalms 119, but everybody does the Gospel of John. I don't know that I've ever met an adult in my lifetime who's memorized the Gospel of John. And that's first and second grade public schools in New Jersey in America? No wonder Ben Franklin could quote so many Bible verses. No wonder the Founding Fathers just flowed out. No wonder policy was so easy when you knew what the Bible said. See, this is where we have to put effort into it now, and it's worth the effort. So Benjamin Rush, going back to him, this is what he said about the Bible in public schools. This is where biblical and this is what this is what I think is the biggest problem we had with this election. Let me just be real blunt here. Go, going to God's institutions, we're illiterate about them. Now we know that God created three institutions. He created the family and government, and he created church. Everybody agrees with that. I don't know of a Christian that disagrees with that. Now, family, Genesis 1, 2, 3, made Adam made Eve. They had children, God blessed it. Government, Genesis 9, um, and and in Genesis 3 and 4. Cain kills Abel and then the whole world goes down from there and then the rape and the pillaging and the murder and everything comes in. God says, okay, let's have a flood, wipe it out. We'll start again. When Noah gets off the ark, God gives him in Genesis 9 what are called the Noahide laws, the first seven civil laws in the history of mankind. There's no record in secular history or religious history prior to those seven laws that Noah received, the Noahide laws. Noah, here's what you do with murderers. Noah, here's what you do with thieves. It's civil law. So That's God's institution. He gave the first civil laws. And then you have the church. We know so much about that. And we can even see back in the book, Exodus the type and shadow because God has the congregation. They have a a tabernacle and they worship together. So joint worship, we, we got that all the way back to Exodus. So what happens is most Christians know a fair bit about family and church, but not nearly as much what the Bible says about government. We used to know it in previous generations. If you look back to the time of the founding fathers, um, Researchers at the University of Houston have documented that the single most cited source when we wrote the Declaration was by John Locke, his two treatises of government. That was the single cited source. matter of fact, Richard Henry Lee, a signer of the Declaration, who made the motion that we separate from Great Britain, which led to the Declaration, he said, we quote, we copied the Declaration out of Locke's two treatises of government. So that's the book where it came from. Now, that book we have, we'll try to let you see one tomorrow, the original's, it goes back to 1690. It's less than an inch thick, less than 400 pages long, and it references the Bible more than 1,500 times to show the proper operation of civil government. Ask theologians today how many Bible verses they can list on civil government. You might get eight or ten. You're not going to get 1,500. So, for what reason do we think that government's a secular institution when there's 1,500 verses referencing that in Justin Locke's two treatises? So, what's happened is because of that, we've gotten out of the government area. We don't do as Christians. We don't. We become two-thirds Christians. We do church, and we do family, but we're not very good at about doing government, and we've got to get out of that thing about leaving government out, and we've got to get back to being a three-thirds Christian. See, this is where we keep up with voting stats in, in the faith community, and, and they're really they're really low. They're about the same like every other American. Uh, what we've got is 26% of American adults voted in this last election. Three, three out of four did not. So what you're looking at, 26% voted, it takes half of that to win. That's one out of eight Americans chose the winners on last Tuesday night. So... By and large, we're just not an engaged community, and that's, that's the national stats on it. So going back to knowing all these, we've got to become a three-thirds Christian. And Benjamin Rush, we talked about him earlier. He's called the father of public schools under the Constitution. This is some of the best ammunition we have right now for why we're starting to see churches get involved at the local level. And we find that if we can get involved in the school boards, we can move them on up to everything else. But you've got to start with the local level, and they get wins, and they like that, and they move up. But Benjamin Rush, father of public schools under the Constitution, in 1790, he did the piece that caused him to be called that. And this is what it was. The mode of education proper and public. He said, guys, we used to be 13 nations. Now we're one republic with 13 states. What do we need to be teaching our public schools if we're going to stay one unified republic? He said, the purpose of public education is threefold. He said, the number one purpose of public schools is to teach students to love and serve God. He said, the number two purpose of public schools is to teach students to love and serve their country. The number three purpose of public schools is to teach students to love and serve their family. Notice the order. Nearly every Christian I deal with in church says, no, 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 it should be God, and then it should be family, and then it should be country, because family is so much more important. And Benjamin Russ said, no, you're wrong. It should be God, it should be country, it should be family, because he pointed out, if you ever lose control of your country, it becomes the great enemy of your family. That's what we're finding right now. And so if you haven't seen in the last two weeks, Newsom signs a bill that removes children from parents who oppose transgender treatments. So if you disagree with transitioning, we'll just take your kids from you and we'll raise them here in the state. Uh, this one, Washington State, final step, they have got health clinics there. And they said, look, we will make sure that if a kid needs a transition, needs the drugs for transitioning or if they need an abortion or if they need condoms or whatever else, birth control, we'll get it for them and we'll make sure parents never know. That's the guarantee. So we'll make sure that we get your kids the health care we think they need to indoctrinate them and we'll never let you know about it. Same thing, we had a a teacher just fired for refusing to promote same-sex marriage, not teaching math and science and what. You're not promoting same-sex marriage as a public school teacher, you're gone. So this is where the state has become the enemy of the family. And because we've been so busy protecting our families, we've lost control of the state. And that's why Christians have to get back involved in this. And that's why we were doing what we did. And that's why we're going to have those dozen and a half meetings in Georgia in the next few weeks trying to get Christians out to get this thing changed. So hopefully you'll have some resources and help coming behind you. But nonetheless, that's what has to happen. So we're figuring out that schools have been the really the cesspool of a lot of what's going on now in the country that You know, kids don't like the country anymore and they don't like the form of government and they don't like so much stuff because they just haven't been taught. They don't know what it is. And that's why school boards have become the focus. I showed you a lot of school board races. Um, There's a lot going on in the states as well. I can share with you what happened in Virginia uh, a year ago result of churches being involved. And that's stats we can go to later. But all these things we look for, this is change happening. So. The challenge that we're giving Christians is you've got to become a three-thirds Christian. You guys are already there. That's why you're involved in civil government at a level above just citizenship. But we've got to get you a lot more supporters under you that understand this and support you and have your back when you're doing stuff. But for you, I would challenge you to make sure that you read the Bible every day, get a good meal every day spiritually, and then start memorizing Bible verses. Who knows? Maybe someday we can know the Bible as well as Ben Franklin did, and maybe someday we can know as much Bible as first graders in New Jersey did. How wild would that be? Say we've got a long way to go to get there, but that's where we need it.
1: All right, folks, that is the conclusion of David Barton speaking at the Pro Family Legislators Conference just a few nights ago. Hope you enjoyed it, and hope you'll share it with your friends and family. You know, it's a, it's a great way to be a force multiplier, just sharing the truths that you hear on this program. It's also a great way to be a force multiplier by donating at our website today at wallboulders.com. and and helping us to amplify these truths and, and get to more people. Uh, but be be a people of action. We know you are. Most people that listen to this program, they don't just listen and and uh, and do nothing. They listen and then they go take action on it. So continue to do that. Uh, continue to, to, to be a force multiplier. Continue to be someone that restores biblical values and constitutional principles in your community. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wild Baldur's Live. We
2: stand undivided Never